Simple. Goal is extraction. Identify life threats. Get them triaged and get them out. And and that's you know we want to make this as simple as possible. I don't know why everybody's trying to make this uh, complicated and trying to create this perfect format. You know what the perfect format? Getting a patient to the hospital. That's the perfect format. Welcome back to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast with myself, Ryan Walker. In this episode, I'm speaking with Greg Brady on pre-hospital triage. So what I wanted to do is really um, have a chat with Greg about the evolution and utility of modern day triage and how it's evolved over time. So what I wanted to do is look at some of the incidents that Greg has dealt with in the past and indeed look at some of the prevalence of active shooter incidents, extreme violence and or terrorist incidents, uh, barricade situations and other acts of aggressive uh, behaviour, which Greg has both interfaced with and indeed dealt with. So some of these challenges and indeed responses test the capabilities of of both first responders and indeed mass casualty care plans. So Greg works for FDNY, so Fire Department New York, and has has the role and indeed in the past has been a primary response to mass casualty incidents across New York City. So New York continues to be a potential target for domestic and international terrorism. So Captain Greg Brady has spearheaded the innovative approach to FDNY warm zone triage to quickly address severe, severely injured patients and uh, instill a semblance of organization in the environment which is possibly under threat. So Greg currently works as deputy chief for FDNY. Uh, but started out his career in 2000 as an EMT at the age of 19 and became a paramedic in 2002. So FDNY trains in bilateral firefighting and paramedicine. So in 2004, um, he became a paramedic in the city of Kismi uh, Fire Department. Greg became a tactical medic after that and worked for their police department, their SWAT team, uh, operating as tactical medic for three years during that process, and then began, began teaching tactical medicine as a result. So Greg has also been deployed overseas uh, in multiple deployments uh, to high threat situations and to orchestrate security for diplomats in various locations. So in 2011, Greg came back to FDNY Survive Department, New York, and in 2014 was promoted to the rank of lieutenant and started to work with both the hazmat team and indeed uh, progressed to the deputy chief. Welcome to the podcast, Greg. Ah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's great to uh, great to have you on, Greg. What we're going to do is a mini series on on triage and just look at the the different types of triage, which which are both effective and have iterated over over time. And I just wondered if we could start by looking at uh, a working definition of warm zone triage and how it might be different to other tools out there. Um, I, you know, that's a good question. Uh, you know, as you can see, the development of or the use of triage you know, throughout the world has more or less uh, been fixated on start triage and um, focus there. And then as the development of the active shooter or aggressive deadly behavior assignments uh, came in, it, it, it was quickly realized that w- with operating in haste and in those types of environment that uh, the, a, a lot of gaps uh, were noticed with using start triage. So, uh, you know, the definition of work and our work in triage is, is for warm zone would be 
the FDNY's Rescue Task Force utilizes this triage system while operating under force protection within a uh, warm zone environment to uh, quickly identify uh, our most critical patients and have them extracted uh, in, in, a, in a timely fashion. Um, again, it's, it's to identify those, the, the most critically injured uh, victims and extract them as quickly as possible. So you said, and I fundamentally agree with that about about the rapidity of of, of triage, and it has to, in essence, I I think, Greg, uh, to your to your um, previous podcast is is it has to be simple uh, because if it's not simple and it, and it is complex, it slows down the down the whole process. But could you could you maybe speak to warm zone triage in its simplicity and its application as a as a as a as a tool which is useful to the clinician in 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 the warm zone uh yeah uh so we we really got down to the when, when we started developing our program we really got down to the basics and and, and for much what's our foundation you know what are we really trying to accomplish here and uh we realized very quickly it's about extraction of victims where before we would have been outside never to operate in that environment or you'd have tactical medics that are going in with their main responsibility to be to their team and mission uh, the rescue task force was developed to try and get to these victims, get hands on them in a warm zone environment uh, from Columbine and where, you know, these people had uh, survivable injuries where we wouldn't got to them before in the past. So, um, again, realize our foundation and really what we're trying to accomplish here was extraction. It's extractions of those victims and, and quickly identifying them, um, understanding that. We had to make it as simple as possible and, and get to those victims that more or less need to get to the hospital as fast as possible. Not those those victims that are going to inundate us as we get there, but that where they don't have the ability to extract themselves, that we'll be able to get in there, identify um, whether or not uh, they're alive first. Right. So we want to, you know, that that quick assessment to make sure that they're alive, that they're a viable candidate, and two, uh, one that has survivable injuries that we need to extract as, as quickly as possible. So looking at the differentiation between tools, as you mentioned, such as start triage, could you could you maybe speak to the main differentiators for listeners so that they can sort of understand the algorith algorithmic flow of, uh, of warm zone triage? Yeah. So, I mean, let's first start off with start triage, right? So the, the, the number one word in that is simple, right? But when you get into it, when you get into those high stress environments and every, and all the assessment techniques that you have to give, it, it doesn't become very simple, right? So uh, one of those perfect example, right? You want to count respirations. Now, where's the difficulty that lies here when you, when you get to them? Number one, how loud the environment is, right? And when you speak to anybody that, that responded to Pulse nightclubs, one of the biggest things that absolutely... Um, was one of the things that the responding officers remembered was the number of cell phones that were, were that continually were calling for the victims' families and everything. So you have a loud environment, you have dim lighted. So how easy is it going to be for you to actually count respirations on a victim and 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 be able to hear, um, uh, you know, whether or not they're moving air and, and, and to those things, right? So um, number one, and also your respiration rate is, is through the roof, right? Your, your vital signs, your heart rate's pumping, you're getting in there, right? You, you, you're working in that high-stress environment. You, you're getting to that over that that 140-beat uh, threshold where things don't, you know, simple functions become difficult at this point, right? So, you know, how accurate is that? So, essentially, um, we didn't feel it was simple, number one, to the, to the operator, 
that was operating in a stressful environment. That's number one. And number two, I be- we believe there was a lot of gaps. So let's, let's, let's take an example of that, right? So you have an individual using star triage that has a gunshot wound to their abdomen. They're able to walk. Their respiratory rates between 30 and uh, 10, right? They have distal pulses. They're able to follow simple commands and they're able to ambulate, right? That's a green tag patient with a gunshot wound to their abdomen. It doesn't fit in this type of environment, right? So that, you know, that, that, that victim is going to begin to decompensate quickly, especially in that environment. I mean, and so we understood that quick, that we understood there was gaps involved. It, star triage is great. It, it, it's a, it's a, Excellent triage tool uh, in its in its proper format and it, and its in environment and where it's it's useful. But within the warm zone, it's at the end of the day we're looking for um, individuals that have survivable injuries that we can get to the hospital where they need surgery. All right, the the other patients in between the, those those patients can be re-triaged on the outside and and your the appropriate resources. And again, look, we also had to take a look at the the rest of the country and the rest of the world is. New York City, for, we're fortunate as far as when it comes to resources, right? So, you know, when, when we call for ambulances, we have a, an infinite amount of uh, ambulances that are going to come our way or not an infinite amount, but you know what we, we, we have, we're resource rich. You're in these rural areas uh, and these areas that have where it's going to take, you know, uh, time for not only their, their EMS resources to get there, their law enforcement resources to get there, their fire department resources to get there. They really... The, the incident commanders really have to take a look at how their resources are utilized and what patients are extracted and when. So, um, again, you know, taking a look at that, you know, we, we focus heavily on core body injuries and on the warm zone triage. Why? Because when active shooter care first came out, the focus was very heavily on the stop the bleed program, stop the bleed, stop the bleed. Um, is that important? Yes. That is absolutely important. But the difference between the rescue task force and a tactical medic or, or uh, a uh, first responder or just a, you know, a bystander is the fact is for a rescue task force to be established, get their law enforcement element, and for them to be actually dispatched into or, or directed to go into a certain location, that's over 20 minutes. And, we can, and you can throw whatever study you want to throw at me. Any individual is going to bleed to death within two to four minutes with uncontrolled hemorrhage. So depending on what, what, what vessel is, is severed and whether or not they have any kind of makeshift tourniquet or anything, rescue task force, went, those really aren't our patients in that, in that situation. You know, of course, we're going to assess them for that, that, that hemorrhage, but our, our focus is heavily on core body injuries because you can either look at, you know, whatever studies like the Smith study that show that a lot of the survival injuries were those core body injuries that they were extracted in, in a timely fashion. So let's just, just delve into that, actually, Greg, because... Um, I understand you've done a number of tests uh, and indeed orchestrated it in in practice in in reality, but could you look at or indeed speak to the warm zone triage under stressful high fidelity training? How how does it perform uh, when you you run this through a, 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 a triage situation? All right. um, So let's first talk about warm zone triage. And and again, to the people listening, uh, I'm going to say this to you where you're not going to be able to physically see or, or give you a graph or anything, and it's going to show you the simplicity in it, right? So um, number one, if you, you come up upon a victim, uh, the first thing you need to do is uh, assess whether or not they are uh, conscious or unconscious. 
All right. Second thing we're going to assess is breathing, just like anything else. If they're not breathing, we're going to uh, readjust their airway once. And if they're again, if they're not breathing with that readjustment, we're going to move on and we're going to categorize that uh, individual as a black category and they're going to be listed as dead. And, and the difference what we change to within the warm zone is that we utilize a, uh, a surgical marking pen and we make the, uh, the markings on the forehead. Uh, yeah, along the lines. Why? Again, we tried to make this as simple as possible. If, if I'm handing off that patient or another team is coming in to come, you know, uh, assess a victim that's laying on the floor, the first place anybody ever really looks is somebody's face. So if we make markings on the face, it'll be the first thing. So uh, black category, we're going we're gonna to put a B on their forehead and with the surgical marking pen, and that's categories. The next thing that we're looking for uh, is the... <clears throat> Massive hemorrhage. So we're going to do a quick body sweep, take a look, um, and address any mass hemorrhage. Uh, we're looking for a, the ability to follow simple commands. All right. If they can follow a, a simple command, we, we, we simply ask them, can you raise your hand or not? Um, or if they're not able to follow simple commands, we don't need to go any further. They're automatically red category. So we're going to put, we're going to write red right on the forehead. Now, why you ask why we write red? Uh, because we found out while going through these evolutions and doing everything that under stress, people's R's look like B's. <laughs> so, uh, you know, again, you know, concern there. Uh, the second category within a red is um, any kind of major trauma in the core body, which our core is easily identified as the top of the head to the groin, front and back. Any major trauma in those areas that automatically a red category. Why? Is because simply tell me pre-hospitally, what are we able to really do for those patients other than buy them time? They need a surgeon, all right? It's the best thing we can do for those victims is extract them, get them to the hospital as quickly as possible, identify them. Uh, we're going to put a chest seal on if they have any kind of open chest uh, chest wounds. We're going to uh, provide a needle decompression if they're showing signs of attention pneumothorax. But have I solved the problem? No. We bought them more time to get them to the hospital quicker. So, again. Those individuals would be uh, categorized as a uh, as a red category, and again, we'd write red red on, red on the forehead. Anybody else that doesn't fit in those categories, if they're able to follow simple commands, or if they have uh, wounds outside the core, uh, whether or not they can ambulate or not, they're considered what's called alive, and we're going to put an A on their forehead. Those victims are going to be extracted and then brought out to. Uh, staging areas and re-triage would start triage on the outside, right? Because the main goal of any rescue task force is to extract red tags and bring them right to the hospital. So identifying red as quickly as possible. Now, again, under stress, I'm not counting any respirations, right? I'm not checking for any distal pulses. Again, your hands are sweaty. You got gloves on. You're moving around to, to, to how many patients, whatever you have going on in there. How easy is it going to be for you to feel somebody's distal pulse, right? It's not. You know, they, these, these, we, it wasn't practical. We, if we want accuracy and we want speed, you have to make it simple for the operator, for the everyday operator. And we really focused in on that. And by doing so, vis simply visualizing where a wound is and whether or not they're able to follow simple commands will tell you whether or not they're red tech. And we, you know, again, extract those victims as quickly as possible. So, and Simply explain that over the uh, over the over the podcast. I can guarantee if we took calls and we took questions, I, I guarantee over ninety percent of the people would get it correct. Just because it's it's really that simple. If if you have an injury in this location, 
you're this. If you're not breathing, you're this. And if you have an injury here, you're this. So, uh, you know, again, make it as simple as possible and, you, and it improves it accuracy. I absolutely agree with that, Greg. And I think, I think fundamentally the, the tool has to enable the clinician because the clinicians are treating patients and, and the more complex you make it, the more it's, it slows the scene down and it slows patient care down to, to your point that you keep making. And I, I think I absolutely agree with that. And one thing you mentioned, which is really interesting. And the 10 second triage tool does the same. It removes these physiological markers. So it removes, like you say, counting respirations, counting for a pulse, which I actually don't think ever happened in the first place. I think it was a lot more <laughs> intuitive than that when people do do uh, respond to major incidents. So, but, but I, you know, formalizing that, you know, removing these physiological markers you know, as in counting respirations, counting heart rate, far more intuitive, right? Injury to the thorax, yes or no, Uh, you know, uh, mentating, speaking, yes or no. Uh, And then being a lot more intuitive about, because like you said, they might be walking, but if they've got a a thorax penetrating injury uh, and or uh, uh, abdominal injury, they're not going to be walking for long. And actually that, you know, that, that, that should never be a, a green or a, a priority three patient. So you're right. Just flipping, flipping the mindset, removing the physiological markers, I think is, is absolutely an, an enabling tool. Just to that point, as we get, as we move on looking at um, red patients, Greg, so you mentioned a couple of critical interventions. One is, you know, mass hemorrhage, arresting mass hemorrhage, use of tourniquets uh, and other things. Another is maybe opening an airway up. How does the warm zone triage deal with red patients? What what are some of the fundamental interventions you're looking at? Uh, all right, so the fun, uh, so uh, you know, great. I, I like to, to you know discuss our, our assessment technique. So when we're going in, so we're 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 operating together as a as a rescue task force. We go in, we see a victim uh, on the ground. Again, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to uh, assess uh, someone's airway uh, if they're if they're if they're not breathing. You know, again, we open up that airway because it could be positional that, you know, that that individual is not breathing and they just don't, you know, they're not conscious. They don't have the ability to open up that airway at that time or protect it. Uh, we're going to open up that airway if they, if they begin breathing. Our next step is, again, it, it, let's make the thought process easy. Massive hemorrhage is the next thing that's going to kill somebody, right? So if they're not breathing, sorry, you, you could, if you're not breathing, you can still have a pulse. So you know, at the end of the day, next thing we, we're going to move on to is we're going to check for massive hemorrhage. We, we're going to sweep those those voids. Uh, if we identify one, we're going to apply a tourniquet high and tight. Right. Uh, that, that's something that we've we've very folk. We focus heavily on within our training, because I, I know a lot of the training that you go through. Um, we're building training scars. Why? Because we're not having the operator. Uh, apply tourniquets the way they're supposed to, right? So uh, that was some of the things that we found out very early on is that, you know, turning the tourniquet twice and telling somebody that it's good because that's the, you know, the training model that they're going through. Uh, under stress, you, you're going to revert back to that and you, you may not really be able to, uh, you're, not, you're not controlling the bleeding, number one. And I don't think I've ever applied a tourniquet and I've only had to turn the windlass twice. <laughs> I can to be honest with you, right? Uh, I mean, even with larger individuals uh, that you discussed that, one tourniquet might not even be enough. And a lot of these things aren't addressed in those. And that's something that we, we, we train heavily on training. Um, 
uh, when we do our evolutions. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna stop that that major bleeding. The next thing that we're gonna do is uh, now we're gonna uh, assess the thorax, right? We're gonna uh, expose the chest and we're gonna you know perform a blood rake. Uh, we took that from our military. Uh, why? Because if you if you've ever seen somebody shot with a five five six two two three round. Um, the penetrating wound is is about the size of a pencil, all right. And when you when you have a a, uh, a chest covered in blood, uh, it's not a very easy wound to find. So so we 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 begin from the clavicle down to the pelvis. We rake each side, and once we find a hole, let's make it easy, right? We we get in a commercial chest seal. We we peel and stick. Uh, we can discuss here all day whether or not you want to do vented chest seal or non-vented chest seal, right? whether or not we're using duct tape or whatever the case may be. The, the goal here is is to, is to more or less put um, either a, a vented chest seal or a uh, or a uh, non-vented chest seal over, over that hole, right? We want to we want to decrease that air airflow going in there. Um, so, you know, again, our next technique at this point now is we want to assess for a uh, tension pneumothorax. And, and l again, let's make things easy for the operator. You have a, an open wound and uh, trouble breathing uh, or, you know, tachypnea. Uh, with that, we're, we're going to pop the chest in that situation. I mean, you, you're just not going to have the ability to sit there with a, with a stethoscope and take a listen to the lung sounds. And, you know, again, we've learned over time that, you know, looking for tracheal deviation. That's such a late sign. You're not, you know, I'm not going to, you're not, you're not effectively managing anything. But what I will tell you um, is that we've moved to two sites for a, uh, for our decompression. We we're going to do mid clavicular uh, or mid axillary, uh, either one or two. And on adult patients, we're hubbing the needle because, uh, you know, again, whatever studies that you're taking a look, you know, taking a look at, you know, whether or not we were, we were actually, uh, using those decompression needles possible, uh, deep enough, weren't getting them deep enough to actually uh, release that, that air in there. So uh, again, those are focus, right? And then the next thing is extracting those red tags. So simple goal is extraction, identify life threats, get them triaged and get them out. And, and that's, you know, we want to make this as simple as possible. I don't know why everybody's trying to make this uh, complicated and trying to create this perfect format. You know what the perfect format getting a patient to the hospital. That's the perfect format. So Greg, looking at just the, because um, if I'm right in thinking, it does interlock with a modified start triage. So, so it's removal from the warm zone to, to a cold zone uh, for like blastoblistic uh, injuries. But then there's an application of a modified start triage tool. Am I correct in saying that? And, and if so, how does that look? Mm -hmm. So we, we had discussed earlier about those alive patients, right? So our red category patients, ideally, we'd like to see them removed from the warm zone to some type of uh, triage transfer point. That's what we, we categorize it. Uh, pass them off the cold zone personnel, and they go right to awaiting ambulances, right? So again, it's about getting the red out. Those alive patients, all right, um, they get brought out to the uh, cold zone, and they get put uh, and they are re-triaged with our modified star triage. Um, now, why it's called modified is because we, we utilize an orange tag. Well, why do we come up with an orange tag, right? We have our, our normal black, red, uh, orange, yellow, and green. An orange tag is more or less anybody that has a tourniquet applied, okay, that is, you know, compensating, that is able to follow simple commands that, you know, fit the other categories, right? So they have the tourniquet applied. Or they're suffering from some type of medical emergency 
secondary to the event. And how do we find that out? Is that we had an actual steam a steam pipe explosion in New York City, and we had an individual on scene that initially was categorized as a green tag that started to develop MI symptoms and eventually went into cardiac arrest uh, because they they essentially succumbed from a myocardial infarction. You know, and so, uh, you know, th- that was something that w- we saw that within a certain area that individuals were falling through the cracks just for the fact of, you know, nobody, um, I guess, uh, com- um, took into account the medical emergencies that people could be having. Right. You know, again, everybody practice. And when we see we go through uh, a lot of our evolutions are done with um, military aged individuals in usually pretty good shape. Let alone that if we had an active shooter at an actual, uh, a you know, whatever type of environment that we're looking at to, you know, unfortunately, like su- supermarkets and everything, you're going to have individuals of all shapes and sizes and all different types of, uh, you know, you know, medical conditions that they're on medicine for blood thinners, you know, diabetics, everything else that comes along with it. So uh, individuals come in all shapes and sizes. So the assessment techniques are important at this point. So we bring them out to the cold zone and we uh, retreat categorize or retriage them. Those are live patients. Retriage them with with our uh, modified start triage, and then our resources um, are pretty much dispersed through the you know whatever categories they come out you know in that situation. So uh, we want to do the best we can for the individuals that we are bringing out and try and categorize them you know as appropriate as possible in that situation. So uh, and it's something that everybody can. Uh, can transition to, you know, and, and it, there's an easy transition from those individuals that you bring out. So Greg, there's, there's, a, there's a, a certain element of over triage in every, every tool and a certain element of redundancy just to ensure we're capturing the, like you said, the, the fringe uh, survivors, which might need an extra little bit of care or indeed um, just to, to make sure we're not missing uh, patients. Is there any redundancy and or element of over triage in, in warm zone um, triage, the triage tool? Is, has that been built into it or, or how, how does it perform in practice? practice from a sort of a sensitivity perspective? Uh, again, you know, the simplicity is where, you know, we get that accuracy, right? So, you know, those are things. And, um, you know, again, going through it, we had to have, when we developed the system, we had to have it something that, that people could relate to and they can identify with, uh, you know, right off the bat. So, you know, th- there wasn't much of a change in regard to that. And, and let's be honest, uh, you know, majority of people or majority of operators and, and practitioners look at an individual and they, and they, their first sight, right? They determine somebody, oh, they look bad, they're red, you know? So they, they're over triaging right away, uh, depending on the situation, because they're looking at the color of their skin, whether or not they're fright. Um, one of the things that we that, that gets brought up um, that I, I'm, there's two things I'm pretty much concerned of in an active shooter environment. Um, one, the medical provider feels comfortable treating somebody that, is injured that needs their help um, and they, where they can feel they can do something about it. And, and, and I'm going to give you an example of what I mean by that. Right. So you take the Aurora, Colorado situation where you had a, a, a an individual that uh, opened fire in a movie theater. So as soon as the first responders arrived to the scene, uh, you had essentially, you're going to be met by those walking wounded right off the bat. Those people that are able to extract themselves, uh, right away are, are, are you're going to be more or less, you know, uh, 
dealing with them as they extract themselves. And you have an individual that's shot in the arm. That's a throw and through, right. And I'm a medical you know, provider. Um, I feel comfortable with taking that victim and putting them in the back of my ambulance right off the bat, because look, you know, I have somebody shot, I'm wrapping their arm. I, I want to, you know, transport them off to the hospital. Uh, not really seeing the, the, the 50,000 foot view of you're utilizing an ambulance for an individual that no matter what, in this situation, whether we just wrapped them, they sat there for two hours, they're still going to be alive. And then, you know, where we need that. So, um, th- that's a big concern right now. Uh, right. Is, is how did one, train medical providers to move past those victims and, and, and how to deal with them appropriately and where to put them through. Um, and then, you know, moving into that, that, that next phase of, you know, that of training together and working with your law enforcement ally and, and, and get them to trust enough that you, you're able to be protected and that you'll be safe in that environment and getting in there. Uh, I think a, a, a lot of places around the world are, are still having some difficulties there in life. Everybody thinks that they, they have a job and responsibility and, and that's true. Uh, but the end goal of, of all this is to help individuals that didn't have a chance in the first place now to have a chance and, and, and get them out. So, uh, yeah, you know, the simplicity, you know, equals ac- ac- <clears throat> accuracy for the majority of the part. And then on top of that, it's, you know, um, being able to relate to it. So that's, you know, like what you're saying about the redundancy. You, you make an absolutely great point there, Greg, around a fundamental mindset shift, because like you said, on an ordinary day, we call it, I guess, business as usual, BAU. Business as usual is one patient, one ambulance, one you know, couple of clinicians, an ambulance crew, um, and you treat what you see in front of you. But in the hierarchy of need in a major incident or mass shooter uh, incidents, you ha- that, that mindset is absolutely flipped. And like you said, the through and through arm injury might not be your priority and actually the, the, the heuristic or bias is that you err towards what you're comfortable with but actually that's it's 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 <laughs> it's being able to step aside from that see there there is a maybe a different hierarchy of need at play and there's actually maybe more injured patients that might need your attention and to your point actually greg i think the the initial um, imp- tool application is all structural. And so uh, applying the structure means you, you don't necessarily treat that first patient you see in front of you. you. It's the structure, it's the reporting system. It's then the application of dynamic triage, which is a mindset shift from everyone's day-to-day practice. And I think if being honest with you, I think every major incident which has is, which is, uh, occurred in the past, clinicians are faced with this fundamental challenge of shifting mindset from their 364 days, the 365th day, it's a complete mindset shift, you know, demand outstrips supply, and they have to really start to look at these structural components rather than treating the first patient they see in front of their face. To, yeah. To that point, Greg, I just wondered if just it'd be really interesting to just examine how warm zone triage looks from a reporting perspective, because there is an element of, 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 of tactical operations command on these scenes, both maybe at scene and remote from scene. How does warm zone triage sort of um, interface with, with this sort of tactical command? Is there sort of five minute S bar sort of situation background assessment recommendation uh, tools being, being um, relayed to, to a, to a command uh, station or how, how does that look 
So, um, you know, that's a great question. And then, um, and that's another, another thing that probably is probably the most important thing to any aspect of these types of, uh, environments, right. Uh, um, communication, right. It's the most important thing on any, any assignment. And it's the first thing to break down and it's the least emphasized in training. <laughs> so tell me where that makes sense. Right. So, uh, you know, that, that's something that, you know, again, huge focus of ours. It's, uh, you know, having a hub together of, of more or less a unified command, a, a small structure of our tactical operations command, um, where our warm zone triage is, is, is simply relayed back to number of patients and the categories. So let, again, I, I don't know how to make this any clearer. Stop making things complicated, right? At the end of the day, what was our foundational goal? It's about getting a red out. Number two, how do we improve that? How do we make that uh, as fast as possible? And, and we, we've really found that we make it as fast as possible, but making it as simple as possible. All right, listen, um, while I'm inside, I'm communicating to my location, to my tactical command of that I have this many patients, and I have this many category, and then we break it down to black, red, and alive, right? So let's not overcomplicate this. Not let's let's go into you know evolve and but now that transition also. So I'm we're a part of the rescue task force. We've already relayed to our tactical operations command that we're coming out with with five red tag uh, red category patients. We're going to pass those off to personnel we realized that we had to give some type of direction of the information that needs to be passed from one to the other. So we took a look at what, uh, you know, more or less was around the world. And, and we saw that a missed report that was used by the militaries is um, a good format, but it doesn't work for what we had. So we developed the lit report. So uh, we felt the most important information that needs to be transitioned from one provider to another uh, from, you know, their operation is level of consciousness injury sustained, and the treatment that you provided. Let's stop making this complicated because before, if I'm passing a patient off to you, I'm either really saying little to nothing or I'm giving you a very convoluted patient assessment, pace off information that included the person's credit score. You know, I mean, and then, and that's pretty much what it came down to. So uh, again, we focused in and we really tried to cut out the fat as much as possible. So, you know, communication is really bare bones while we're operating in a warm zone and all that further information of any of the things that become complimented that could be all done in that cold zone operation where, you know, those providers aren't under the stress that of wearing any type of, you know, body armor or, you know, stress or dray or sketting patients and dragging them in and out in a, in a timely fashion or getting to a certain location. All that does is increase your heart rate. It puts a lot of stress on the provider and it, you know, it all depends on, you know, let's be honest, how good a shape that individual is that's, that's making it way there. Uh, if I'm going from room to room to room doing uh, a number of assessments over a long period of time, you know, again, that, that's going to have an effect on the operator, right? And that's going to have an effect on, you know, how accurate they are later on. If, if you're exhausted, we talked about that before. How accurate am I going to be on respiratory rate? How accurate am I going to be on, 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 on counting and or checking, you know, distal pulses? You know, th these are things that we really had to take into account on, on an individual. Hey, listen, are they able to lift their hand? Yes, great. That means they're able to follow civil commands. Are they, are they, do they have major trauma from the top of the head to their groin front and back? Yes, good. All right, let's, boom, let's get out. Um, and again, that triage, it needs to be simple. Uh, you have time later on 
uh, for those individuals that aren't critical. Those critical patients at the end of the day just need to get to the hospital as quickly as possible. They need to get onto a surgeon's table uh, and identifying those. Yeah, Greg, listen, I fundamentally believe in, in, in everything you're saying actually around the simplicity is absolutely key. Uh, and I, use of a simple tool, such as lit um, level of consciousness interventions and or treatments, and just looking at um, keeping everything simple uh, from a reporting perspective to an initial triage. Because like you said, you know, an initial triage might be quite different five, 10 minutes down the line, and they're going to need to re triaging anyway. So a complex tool would, would, would never, would never work anyway, because actually things are so dynamic in, in that environment. And Greg, as we come into land on the conversation, there is, there's been some salient points you have made throughout this, throughout this interview around keeping it simple. Could you maybe just, just, just notion towards a few take home messages that, that listeners could, could sort of take away and or think about from the conversation? Um, yeah, uh, number one, communication is everything, right? Uh, on any type of these environments, the communication, um, you know, um, with your law enforcement element and your rescue task force and the individuals uh, that are there is, is, is huge, right? Um, two, uh, train. It's, it's all about training, developing that muscle memory, um, um, going into things, utilizing things that work for you and your, and your um, agency and, and going through um, focusing on that, make sure you identify those life threats. You, you know, make sure you do those interventions quickly and, and extraction. Um, again, I, you've, you've heard me said it numerous times throughout this, uh, the podcast is it's all about getting the red out. Uh, you know, I'm thankful for the fact now that we have these campaigns of stop the bleed campaign, which is 100% the, uh, the way to go is, is to get those bystanders, get those individuals, you know, train to, to assist in these things because it takes community in these, in these types of situations. And, uh, you know, it's going to take time for your, your, your medical providers and your professionals, your law enforcement element to get there and begin to establish these things to get, to get in there and, and, and deal with these victims. But uh, it's about getting the red out. It's about simplicity. It's about not just the patient, but it's about the provider understand the amount of stress that they're under. And if we want them accurate, we have to make it simple. And uh, that's, that's the biggest, th the biggest points I can, I can make to you is, you know, trying to get them out. Listen, that's fantastic. And I fundamentally believe in that. I think it's, it's a great place to, to, to land the conversation. I think Greg, what we'll do in the show notes is we'll, uh, we'll put links to some of the other fantastic interviews that you've given on Warm Zone Triage, just to give listeners a holistic perspective on Warm Zone Triage and some of the fantastic information you've given there as well, because it really is innovative and, uh, and progressive. But listen, thank you for your time, Greg. I really do appreciate uh, the last 45 minutes. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. And, uh, you know, uh, I, things like this and getting people out there and, and talking to each other is uh, the, the number one thing that we can do. Thanks for listening to the episode. Please feel free to rate, review and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to. Please also head over to the World Extreme Medicine website where you can find more engaging content on extreme medicine webinars and indeed the collection of courses from our global network, including humanitarian, disaster relief, expedition, space, military, tactical and performance medicine. Thanks again.